Hello, my fans, friends. Welcome to the Rich Terring podcast feed, powered by ACAS Plus. Thanks to everyone who's come to see the Can I Have My Ball Back tour so far. It's been going really well. I've got a four-star review in The Standard, four-star review in The Telegraph, who once called me the worst comedy experience of the year, so that's a turnaround. Uh, people have been coming, people have really been enjoying it, and it's getting better and better. The only gigs this week are both in Pocklington, the town I was born in, near York. Uh, there's a couple of tickets left for the evening show and a few more tickets left for the matinee, I think about 4.30. But love to see you there, Yorkshire. Pop along. Check richardherring.com slash ballback slash tour or richardherring.com slash gigs to see if I'm coming near to you. There are tickets left for nearly every show in the tour. I think Norwich has sold out. Uh, and a couple of gigs in London could do with your support as well. Anyway, please listen to the podcast. Do spread the news about the podcast to your friends. Listen as much as you can. Numbers are slightly down, which may affect the future of this podcast. So just leave it playing, even if you're not in the room. Love you. <laughs> now sit back, relax and enjoy whatever it is you're going to listen to. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome to yet another Hollister Book Club. I'm very honoured to be joined by a friend of the podcast, John Ronson, who's going to talk about his... I mean, it's the first time we've done a book that isn't actually a book yet, at least. It's an audio book uh, slash podcast called Debutante. Uh, John joins me from inside his wife's wardrobe. Wardrobe. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, and look, she's got a good taste in clothing. As you yeah, can there's see. some sort of stuff hanging down off the shelf in front of your face. It's you know, it's it's yeah. it's real. It's real. You know, I'm sure you've recorded from inside cupboards before. Well, we've your... been, we've only just moved house. We've moved to a little apartment in in Greenwich Village, Amazing. and there's and there's construction work going on all around. Hence me being in the wardrobe <laughs> it's, it's fine I, whatever 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 turns you on is good with good for me so look i mean john you've done a lot of uh books many many books people will be aware of them we've talked about a lot of them before you've done these sort of uh, podcast series investigative journalism series before uh debutante uh, very good is, is it it's just on uh audible plus is it or can people buy it as well if uh, they're not with audible no, I think no. You can buy it, but okay. on Amazon. But it, like, it's expensive. Okay. Like the best, if you're not an Audible person, the best <laughs> thing to do is probably sign up for the free trial, download it, and then yes. cancel. But <laughs> uh, but I should say that that's not what what I would do because I'm a keen Audible user. I yeah. I, I get three free credits every month, and I use them right now. I'm listening to Demi Moore's 
wow. dark memoir. Okay, good. Yeah, I think my wife's listening. To, has listened to that one. I love Audible, and they also do sponsor this podcast quite a lot. So don't just join up and then leave, though. That is an option. Yeah. That you know, it's so good, John. I think people will so do, do, they'll do that and then go, "Hey, I'm going to stay on and and I'm going to stay being a member." I'm a big audio Audible fan. <laughs> right, I, no, I really, right from the start of my career, I made like a decision early on in my career, which was I'd only ever work for things that I myself was a fan of. Okay. And and, and I stuck to it. And yeah, there you go. Good. Well, it's, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, Debutant. I don't want to, with these things, you know, there's obviously uh, stuff to give away and I don't want to give it away. So you tell me what you're comfortable about revealing about this uh, this particular series. Okay, well, 30 years ago, my my beat was white supremacy. I used to like hang around in Ku Klux Klan compounds. I once spent some time, this is a diversion, but in my book, Them, one of the chapters is about a time that I was with a politically correct faction of the Ku Klux Klan (laughs) uh, that had banned, it was run by a guy called Tom Robb. And he'd banned the robes and the <laughs> cross burnings uh, and, and uh, you know, banned all the things that were presumably the most fun about being in the clan. <laughs> and, uh, and in fact, they, he allowed them to do one cross burning a year. Okay. And they were so rusty. I remember I walked there like in a field and the cross was like lying prone on the grass. Yes. And they were all standing around it, like, you know, scratching their heads because they couldn't remember whether to raise the cross and then soak it in kerosene <laughs> or, or soak it and then raise it. Fantastic. And, and then Tom Rob came over, their leader, and they said, Tom, do we raise it and then soak it or do we soak it and then raise it? And Tom, <laughs> and Tom went, you soak it and then raise it. How, how you... <laughs> How are you going to soak it once you've raised it? And then he like gave me a look as if to say, I'm sorry that my <laughs> clansmen are such idiots. <laughs> Feels like if you soak it... Now, let's not get too distracted, but let's take the little distraction from this. It feels like if you soak it and then raise it, you're going to get dripped on, though. And then, you'll get and drips. Then, and then you'll be... When you set it on fire, you'll be set on fire. So I think both ways are pretty stupid. Maybe don't, and those, burn, don't burn crosses, yeah. maybe. I'm not sure. And those robes, again... Yeah, they're allowed to wear their robes once a year for the cross burning. So, yeah. you know, those are flammable items. Really? They're, they're covered in kerosene, definitely, yeah. So, when they, yeah. you know, I, I, I would encourage anyone in the Kukuk Sound to, to attempt to set fire to themselves. I don't, I don't have that for me. That's fine. But, uh, yeah. OK. But yeah. They, so, yeah, you have, like, a long history, and I'm sure we'll uh, talk more about that, of uh, mm. of going to meet fascists as, a, as, a, Jewish, as a Jewish man... Uh, often pretending not to be Jewish or claiming not to be Jewish if asked. Uh, hmm. But, uh, yeah, so, the, so, tell, so tell us more about this. You know, by the way, you know, Louis, Louis Theroux once uh, was in a you know, similar situation. Yeah. And they said to him, are you Jewish? And he, and he's, he isn't Jewish, obviously. And he said, yeah. I'm not going to tell you whether or not I'm Jewish. <laughs> and when they say to me, who is Jewish, are you Jewish? I say, no. <laughs> that's, that's the difference between Louis and me, I guess. That's good. Yeah, so, um, so uh, yeah, so I spent like quite a few years, maybe five years doing, doing like Nazi type activities like that in the 90s. And I kept hearing about this woman called uh, Carol Howe, who was a beautiful, wealthy, charismatic, former debutante and society girl, champion horse rider, 
who, through a series of very poor life choices, uh, ended up right in the middle of that world. Yeah. And, you know, most, and it was kind of intriguing right from the start because most of the people you meet in, you know, Aryan nations or, you know, clan rallies or whatever are uh, working class. And here was this, you know, wealthy debutante from the richest part of Tulsa uh, in that world too. So, yeah. so immediately that was kind of mysterious. Like, what, you know, who is she? What's she doing there? What's her story? How did this wealthy Tulsa socialite end up, you know, neo-Nazi? Yeah. And not just a, not just a regular neo-Nazi. She was dating America's craziest white supremacist is a man called Dennis Mahan who's just you know erratic nuts so that was the first mystery like who is that woman and then the second mystery was that she had an extraordinary story to tell and her story was that um, at some point during her Nazi career she became she turned and became an undercover federal informant and she was warning of the fe- she was warning the federal government basically about the Oklahoma City bombing mm. before it happened. So yeah. this was the other story. This was the other mystery. Like, is it really true? Is this a conspiracy theory that may actually be true? Which is that this woman, Carol Howe, was warning them about the government, uh, warning them about the Oklahoma City bombing, and also saying that there were more people involved in the bombing than just Timothy McVeigh. And the government just let it go. Like, yeah. for some reason, they let it go, and they could have prevented the worst act of domestic terrorism in America's history, but they failed to do it. So there's, so there were two mysteries. And 30 years ago, I thought, well, I'm going to try and solve this, and I completely failed to solve it 30 years ago. But it was always, like, in my head. And so just before the pandemic, maybe a year before the pandemic, I decided to have another go. And on and off for the last three or four years, I've been piecing together the story of Carol Howe. Yes. And that's the debutante. Yes, and there's a six-part series. Uh, You know, I I, I wolfed it up, I have to say, in a a couple of dog walks, really, because it's it's fascinating, as, as with all your stuff. Thank um, you. you know, you've you picked very good subjects and you, you do proper investigative journalism and remain. I mean, what happens a lot with podcasts and a lot of true crime podcasts is that they get sucked into the into the more conspiracy side of it mm. or the, the crazier side of it. And there's loads of crazy. I mean, there's loads of unbelievable stuff in this and lots of weird either coincidences or clues but you 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 know you you'll always keep quite a level head and i think that's probably the the message of the whole series the whole of the whole series is you know not to get drawn into the rabbit hole too far yeah yeah and thank you for saying that because that is what you know kind of emerged as what i thought was like my main theme which was that you know there's a preponderance to conspiratorial thought all over the place on the right on the left in the center like, like we all, you know, even rationalists, people who, who, you know, consider themselves very reasonable people. And in a way that happens in true crime podcasting too, right? People are like yeah. desperate to, you know, solve the mystery and pin it on this person or that person. And, and I think, yeah, ultimately the debutante becomes a story about, you know, in these, in these trying times, it's try and keep a level head and try and try and you know gather evidence instead of spiral ideologically. Yeah, but you know there are some there are some pretty amazing weird little coincidences. I mean, the thing that you talk about quite a lot is there's a 
there's a video of some strippers in a strip club that were sort of doing the circuit because it was strippers fighting each other, basically. So people were just looking at it because it was strippers having a cat fight with not, with not many clothes on. So that was quite popular amongst being passed around between strip clubs. But uh, mm. someone then watched the whole evening's worth of footage and there's one, one of the ladies is talking about uh, meeting a guy who says, you know, I'm going to be famous in a couple of weeks. Watch out for mm. me on April the 19th or whatever. Uh, yeah. And uh, and so, yeah, that that's quite extraordinary that that's... Once you see something like that that, that, that piece of evidence that comes out accidentally, it's easy to, to zoom mm. in on it and think this is massively significant. Which it yeah, it, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, absolutely. No, it's incredible. So yeah, just just so there was a strip club in Tulsa called Lady Godiva, and a group of uh, out of town strippers from Arkansas were there that night, and a big fight breaks out between the Tulsa strippers and the Arkansas strippers. And it was all caught on CCTV in the dressing room. And so, yeah, yeah as you say, Richard, you know, it's this sort of unsettling sight of, um, of, of you know, almost naked women screaming at each other. And, um, and yeah, so, as you said, um, the security guards at, at the various Oklahoma Arkansas strip clubs were passing this this cctv footage around ostensibly as a warning like this arkansas group of strippers are on the rampage right. don't <laughs> don't let them in but really i think they were just into watching the footage and and yeah one of them this is kind of amazing you can see why yeah. it caught on as such an yeah. ingredient in the conspiracy theory because one of them decided to watch the whole tape uh, presumably because the tape is basically full of women getting changed oh, no, in the a, I suppose so. It could be like reading the articles in Playboy. You go, well, I've, I've watched the exciting bit. Now let's let's yeah. see what they get up to in the rest of their day. Yeah, when they're yeah, just okay, doing their makeup and stuff. <laughs> but yeah, one point uh, earlier on that evening, this, this woman called Pam comes into the dressing room, one of the strippers, and basically says, you know, something weird just happened outside. Uh, I was sitting with a group of men and one of them said to me, I'm a very smart man, and you're going to remember me on April 19th, 95. You're going to remember me for the rest of your life. Yeah. And that was like 10 days before the Oklahoma City bombing on April the 19th, 1995. And so NBC got hold of this footage, these two really great journalists called Mike and Bob from NBC, and they went back to the club and showed showed all the women photographs of the of the men that Carol Howell, the debutante, had had, you know, pointed the finger at as being these unknown co conspirators in the bombing. And sure enough the women um said, Yeah, he was there that night. Andy the Timothy McVeigh was there that night and so was Andy the German, who's this mysterious figure who may or may not have also been involved in the bombing. So so what a great I mean you can see why a conspiracy theory <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know came up around that bit of evidence. Yeah. I mean, but you know, there is there's a sort of compelling story underneath it as well. Of was this an actor? You know, he's always been called a lone wolf, and you know, there was obviously like a talk of there being a a, a second person with him. At then, the, then the FBI sort of decided not to pursue that, or decided it wasn't. It was it was just somebody else who wasn't involved with him. But it does, as this series, you know, does demonstrate. There's there's a lot of links to other groups. Uh, there's a lot of possibilities, but but nothing really super concrete that we can say that you could really point a finger at anyone. 
Well, there's a lot of people today. This is, I suppose, the serious point at the end of the show is that there's a lot of people who believe that America is teetering on the edge of civil war. And a lot of people on the left believe that the way to stop that is to be much more proactive against white supremacy groups like raid their camps. Um, Now, 30 years ago, last 30 years and three weeks ago, uh, they did that at Waco, yeah. and it was a disaster. You know, everyone died, including a lot of children. Uh, and at the time, with Waco, the message that came out of Waco was, let's not do this. Like, let's not raid their camps. But yeah. now, 30 years later, the message is, let's do this. Let's raid their camps. It's the only way to stop civil war. So that means we have to be like especially careful about the links between different groups and so on. Because yeah. if we get too excited about the idea that white supremacists are all unified, and they, you may think they're lone wolves, but they're not lone wolves. It's actually They're all actually secretly connected. Then we become conspiracy theorists, and it's quite possible yeah. that we raid camps and and a whole bunch of innocent children died, just like at Waco. Yeah. So, or, but they would say, but then the counter argument to that is, no, 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 you know, they're going to get us. Like, they are more connected than you, than we think that they are. And look at January the 6th, look at Charlottesville. So this is like a big question. Like, what do we think about that? And I, and I try and, you know, answer that question in the debutante too. Yes, and, and I think, you know, it comes from the disbelief that, what you know, it, it's hard. I mean, with all these things like nine eleven, it's hard to believe that that would work that plan. So you start to construct uh, all the, the you know the, the idea that someone's put bombs all the way through both the towers so that it's a controlled explosion by the government. You know, it's easy to go well, that that couldn't happen. You sort of think, oh, one guy couldn't organise all that on his own and do it on his own. And obviously, there was there were other people who were involved. But obviously, you know, that's the reason it, it worked really, wasn't it? Because it, because he probably was, you know, or, you know, there yeah. weren't that many people who knew. So, as you say, with this uh, Carol, uh, whether she knew or not and whether people had... I don't know whether if she'd, you know, they'd, if they'd taken her seriously, whether it would have really helped. Do you think prevented you'd, the bombing? Or... It's hard to know, isn't it? Well, I think I've come to a conclusion personally okay. about that. Um, maybe I shouldn't say because it's sort of... It'll give away too much of the, yeah. of the story. But, I, like, I think I know okay. personally... Okay. Uh, but yeah, it's um, so yeah, yeah. So it was a weird, like thirty-year-long. I need, you know, it was like the story that got away. Like I tried to do the story thirty years ago, and I got yeah. nowhere. This time around, I think I got some really great stuff, including. I mean, one of my f- favorite parts is, is is an interview with her first husband, uh, yes. in who's just the best. <laughs> Raconteur. She met him in a bar at Halloween, just swept him off his feet. Uh, after three weeks, she says, let's elope and get married. So they, you know, break into her mother's, uh, you know, mansion in Tulsa and steal a black dress and go to Vegas and get and elope. And then, uh, and then, like, shortly after their marriage, she, she says, uh, let's both get matching swastika tattoos on our arms. <laughs> so, so they go, him, like, besotted with her, like, they go off and get matching swastika tattoos, like, really big ones, like, the size yeah. of Nazi armbands, which he then immediately regrets. He showed me it. He showed me a swastika tattoo now, and he's had it all covered with, like, little swirls and flowers uh, just saying the show, you know, makes it look like an effeminate swastika. Yes. Uh, so this him piecing together 
their marriage is just so funny. It's like Pretty Woman in advance. Like yes. she's taking him to like Tulsa's finest stores and saying choose anything. <laughs> well, so she has he... this amazing power over all of these guys, really, because hey, she's a beautiful posh woman and she's coming into this world. I mean, because a lot, you know, the thing with Nazis, as much as they uh, have this ideal of the perfect. <laughs> the perfect master race. Most of them seem to be, you know, quite unattractive men. Mm. And so, for a no offence to any Nazis listening, by the way, if you are if you are good looking, I'm very sorry to. Yeah, that's I'm very know, sorry. To... <laughs> I, I I did I made a documentary about Randy Newman once called right. I Am Unfortunately Randy Newman, and I'm like a huge Randy Newman fan. And the first thing he said to me as we turned on the camera is, uh, "When I meet my fans." Not many of them are very attractive. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's very much true of me as well. So it's a very, yeah. it's a very, rare, it's good for me, but it's a, it's a very rare thing that a, a, a normal human being likes Richard Harry's works or the Nazis. So you know, but I think they're, I think they're two quite different groups. I hope. But yeah, yeah I don't, want, I don't want to offend any Nazis. So don't write in if you're a Nazi and I've offended you and you're good looking. But yeah, but it's an amazing. But all these guys basically can't believe their luck and that she, she's obviously mm. somewhat crazy and somewhat impulsive, let's say, uh, mm. and and therefore you know you've got this beautiful woman coming in and being prepared to form relationships very quickly with them, and so none of them could quite. That that guy, I think, still can't quite believe. His luck, yeah. even though even though it didn't it didn't work out so well for him. So. His luck, but also his heartbreak. I mean, she broke yeah. his heart. I think it yeah. took him because she left him for America's craziest neo-Nazi, Dennis yeah. Mayhard. I mean, and uh, you know, it, it took her, I think a long time for for the heartbreak to to be cured. Yes, but I, mean, uh, yeah. I, I think what's quite interesting, and the fact this is over thirty years, because your early work, whilst not being completely light-hearted, I mean, you were you sort of got there first. With them, you know, this it was before nine eleven, and obviously, and you were sort of warning there was something on the horizon, and you were very correct about that. And you were the first person I really saw express that. But as you say, you know, you, you were you were finding a lot of the 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 funniness in these extreme groups. Whereas now, thirty years later, and with and with all the stuff that's happened, and with the the you know the way America's going, it does feel more serious and this is this is a i mean this is a, in a, a very harrowing work in a lot of ways uh and obviously a lot of people die in this story including uh several children are killed in the oklahoma bombing which is uh which is is very upsetting you talk to the grandmother of, of, of a couple of those kids yeah um, a grandmother who who was who's convinced that carol Howell's story is true sure. and that so you know then the question is well is carol i say this in the show is she a kind of Femme, you know, she's not just, you know, she was a femme fatale for Nazis, but was she also a sort of femme fatale for conspiracy investigators yeah. too, trying yeah. to make sense of, of you know, what could just be senseless? Yes, exactly. And I think that that is the, and you know, but the way America's going and it's, it's like you say, there are, there are still some funny moments in this story because there is a sort of funniness to this when people have such extreme views and it's so crazy and, and they're mm. they're self harming really in this way as you know like the tattoos and I mean mm. Dial a Nazi which uh, Dial a racist rather Dial a racist is a very you know that would be a comedy sketch in, in Britain Dial a racist would be an oh eight nine eight number where you someone Ricky Gervais did some you know a, a character <laughs> who was racist and you'd laugh at him but in America this was you could Dial a racist and, and hear today's racist views. 
Right. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. This is pre-internet. That you see, what happened was Carol had an accident, and when she was with Greg, she uh, she broke both her feet. And when she was in bed convalescing, she started phoning this local telephone answering service called Dial a Racist, where you'd phone. This is like pre-internet. And somebody like a racist would leave an outgoing message, and you just phone in and like listen to it, like a twenty-minute <laughs> sermon about you know the international corporations and the Jews control America, they're about to destroy the white race. And so, Cow, while she was convalescing from her broken feet, would uh, would listen, would phone up and listen to Dial a Racist, and then she fell in love with the voice and sought him out, and that yeah. was her second, you know, great Nazi relation. No, well, her second. Great relationship. Yeah. And again, the guy just immediately goes, yep, okay. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Brilliant. you would. How's, how's this happened? <laughs> well, you know, but it's sort of, and, and there's a, it does show the vulnerability and patheticness of men. That yeah. just someone oh, can yeah. turn, turn up and you're immediately in a relationship with them because they, they want to, you know, think, well, could this woman who is obsessed with dial a racist not be the greatest person ever? Um, I don't know. <laughs> totally. No, she, he completely fell in love with her. But he also thought, well, you know, I could make her a, Aryan goddess spokeswoman. Yeah, I yeah. could get her on Oprah. He never managed to get her on Oprah, but he did get her on German TV. Uh, and he had her recording some dial a racist messages too, uh, which they abandoned. <laughs> uh, somebody from White Aryan Resistance told me that they abandoned the idea of having Carol record those messages because she sounded so robotic. Yes. And we found a tape of her. <laughs> and she does sound very robotic. Yes. Well, again, that's another thing that you're always great at and you find all this stuff and, you know, you've been given a box full of of evidence from one of the trials and you find all these, you know, answer phone messages and things which, you know, it's kind of... Very yeah. poor quality audio quality answer my messages. Well, of course, because they're from the 1990s, but but yeah, but the, but, the, but amazing, amazing just stuff ama- that, yeah. that exists still, you know. Yeah, yeah, the archive I think really just helped so much. These yeah. are things that have never been heard before. Yeah, answer phone messages when Dennis, the, the dialer racist man, was like berating Carol, and then when Carol became an undercover informant, we've got the we've got the tapes, and you know none of this stuff has ever been heard before. So it was very exciting to yeah. to find it. Just a public defender. Um, this is what perseverance does in journalism. The fact that we came along thirty years later. <laughs> and said, you know, we really want to piece together Carol's story. And somebody from the public defender's office just said, you know, meet me in a bar after work. And I thought I was going there to interview him. And he said he didn't want to be interviewed and he didn't want to be named, but he had something to give us. And yeah. he just handed over this box. And the box had been sitting on a shelf for 30 years. And it was all this incredible Carol House stuff, you know, yeah. surveillance <laughs> tapes, answer phone messages, court audio. It was just just great. Yeah, I mean, it is. It's very impressive, and as always, you know, I think I think what you're doing uh, with with podcasts and audiobooks is, you know, and it's really exploring that. I mean, this is very long, very long form, long game journalism. I think it's fair to say over thirty years, but but you know, you you find these interesting stories, and you really get to the bottom of them, and and they do make absolutely fascinating uh, listening. I think well, I, I'm sure I've you. talked. To, I'm sure I've talked to you about this before. But the thing that always comes up to me when I'm listening to you talking to these people and you put yourself in these situations which are, you know, potentially very dangerous um, with very dangerous people who wouldn't like you if they knew you were Jewish. And some of them do know you're Jewish. Um, And some of them just instinctively don't like me. (laughs) 
that might just be it. No, I don't, I don't think that's fair. Um, yeah, but it's it's you know it's a it's a it's a dangerous position. It's sort of interesting because a lot I think a lot of the time they're sort of not very ple- very pleasant to you, but there's an undercurrent of menace even when they're being pleasant yeah. with you. Which I think you know you talk to the German guy and that, that's very much there because he's being sort of as nice as anything with you, and you you find out something where he's he's besmirched you elsewhere. Um, yeah. How do you, is the person? Would you think about your personal safety? Is how do you ensure that you don't get into trouble, mm. or is or is it just is it just something that you have to put up with because this is what your job is? I think I, I I guess I think about my personal safety a bit. Like I, if I'm in a room with somebody, I I do sort of clock uh, where the exit is, and and yeah. you know, um, and um, but mainly. I think I'm just so excited about being on an adventure that uh, that I just go with it and and don't. There's, you know, when I was a kid, there was this awful footage that was on the news of of a guy, a, a journalist, a cameraman, filming his own murder, like right. he's filming a sniper, and the sniper like turns the gun to him. And shoots and and he gets killed. Right. And it's just it's always haunted me, but partly haunted me because it makes you realise that you know as as a journalist you you do blunder into these situations and you yeah. do think you're kind of invulnerable because what you're what we're doing is like gathering material to go home and make it work. Um, and we're so like intent on gathering the material that will then make a really good story when you get back home. You yeah. do blunder into dangerous situations, I think. But Touchwood, like nothing. There's been a couple of risky. Like I was, um, I was, I was outed as a Jew at a jihad training camp one time, right. Nick Crawley, and I guess that was um, uh, that was risky. Yes, with Omar Bakri Mohammed. Look at me with the infidel John, who is, and then he paused, and he went, <laughs> a Jew, and they all went. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I've told this story before. I said, surely it's better to be a Jew than an atheist. And I heard someone go, no, it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> the crazy thing about that is that I am an, I am an atheist. So why yes. would I why would I say that? <laughs> why would I just like assert my Jewishness like in a jihad training camp? Uh, and then there was another time at Aryan Nations in Idaho when I they all, all these skinheads surrounded me and basically asked me if I was Jewish, yeah. uh, and I said no, and then. Um, and then some guy came over and like made a joke to like alleviate the situation, uh, and I've always wondered whether he was an undercover agent, right. like yes. protecting me. Yeah, that yeah. could be. I mean, yeah, it's. I mean, it's sort of interesting because you know, when once you're pre- once they're presented with someone who they you know is this outside figure that they hate, and you're amongst them, and they like you. I think mm. they do. I think they do ma- mainly like you. You know, I think that's the thing. So it's yeah. hard for. It's almost like they have to do it in air quotes, and you know, and they're they're they're, <laughs> they're sort of saying the stuff, but but winking at it as as they're talking to you so it's it's really fascinating it's fascinating as well that you that you're so drawn to that though i mean i can understand why you're drawn to it but it's sort of yeah. um it's it's mystery I, I mean what i'm drawn to most of all is mystery <laughs> right, like there's okay. something about the world i don't understand and so i want to understand it yeah. and um 
And quite often the the great mysteries are happening on the on the edges of society. So that's why I end up like on the fringes often. It's it's not so much because I'm interested in fringe culture, but I'm interested in in trying to solve mysteries. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah I think that. Well, yeah, it does go all the way through to the 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 the, the men with the goats, the men the men who stare at goats, and uh, all yeah. of those things. Yeah, they're the all, psychopath they're, test. They're all yeah, about. So, yeah. So even even say being publicly shamed, which is yeah. much more a, a, a book about like our world, because we all take part in shamings as either shamers or shamed. Uh, so it's much more about like our daily lives. But there's still a kind of mystery to solve, which is why do we behave so cruelly on the internet? Like what's going on there? What what factors are are inspiring us to behave in such cruel, brutal ways towards our fellow humans. Yeah. So I think with every one of my stories, there's a mystery to solve. I, 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 I admire but can't do what somebody like, say, Catelyn Moran does, where she has like an area that she's an expert in and then she sort of explores the same area, yeah. you know, in for multiple different ways. Like, I, I can't do that. Like, if I understand a world, I've got no interest in it. My, my, my interest is in worlds that I don't understand. Yeah, but you. I mean, as I say, I think you're good at spotting what will make a good story. But you also are kind of ahead. I mean, I think you're ahead of the curve in the shame thing. I mean, obviously, people were aware of people being shamed on the internet, but you know, you are again one of the first people to kind of properly examine that. And as I said, and with them, really, way way ahead of the curve. I think for for most people. Yeah, I went to see my friend Fenton Bailey, the, the documentary producer. He gave a talk here in New York the other day, and Ronan Farrow was interviewing him. Yeah. And Ronan Farrow's they they were talking about that about trying to be slightly ahead of the curve in storytelling. And you know, Ronan Farrow basically broke the whole Me Too thing with Harvey Weinstein. And yes, and he said, you know, we are like. I can't remember the exact phrase he used, but sort of basically we're kind of like Simon Cowell's, but for stories instead of <laughs> Harry Styles. We're trying to think what what will people want want next. Yes. That's that is kind of you know part of our job. I guess. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, that's good. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry. And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
Yeah. So uh, yeah, I mean, I was I was glad that the you know I thought it was it, we did mention the grandmother with the the who's who's. Grandsons have been killed in the Oklahoma bomber in it bombing, and I think it. I thought for a minute when that came in, it was just going to be about this, and it is quite a harrowing thing. And I think, well, I suppose it is important to uh, to include that detail because it is, you know, it is absolutely horrific. But yeah, then she does. It, she is a, a central figure in the conspiracy as well, so there is a reason for having her there. Yeah, well, absolutely. No, completely. Like, and I knew that people would go through that thought process. Yeah. Like, is this woman <laughs> just here to show how horrific the bombing in bombing yeah. is? And then, like, an episode or even two episodes later, she she reemerges as a yeah. as a character in a different way. So yeah, so I really like that as a little structural thing. Yeah, but there's not, you know, you get, again, you've you've got a good instinct for just what you can, you know, this is going to come back in a little while, but I'm not going to tell you why. Yeah. So you've got a, there's a nice playfulness to it. They, you know, it, and I think that's a real skill with this, with this story, because there is so, there's so much in this story that, you know, obviously the main event at the middle of it is just so harrowing and horrific. But but all the stuff around it is sort of fascinating and, and yeah, and just as fascinating as the the Nazis are the people who have dedicated their lives to to trying to solve it, and then I suppose what you're good at is is having your thought, think about it and walking away, uh, and that's probably why you don't go down the rabbit hole too much. But yeah. they, they, they once you've once you've I mean I can absolutely understand why in that woman's case that she would devote the rest of her life to it, and it's you know and it's a very good. I love the stuff she said about. People saying, oh, God, you know, I prayed to God and that's why my kids are OK. And you go, I prayed to God every night yeah. with my kids and they're not OK. So, you know, that bullshit of people going, God, you know, I survived a plane crash. God was watching over me. Go, what, yeah. what, he k- killed 300 <laughs> people. Yeah, it was an incredibly honest and powerful moment when she said yeah. that. Because yeah. she's obviously, you know, she's a... I mean, I don't know her background, but I very much assume that she was a, you know, a Christian. Uh, you know, yes. that's a very religious part of the world, Oklahoma. And, yeah, she was basically telling me in the interview that, you know, all this really questioned questioned her entire belief system. Yeah. Uh, and that the anger and the, the the rage that you would feel when you see somebody on the news saying, I prayed that my kids would be OK and God listened and my kids were OK. And, and yeah, just the rage you would feel when you hear yeah. that. You know, I prayed every night and my kids both died. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's very it's very moving, and mm. as I may, you know, so I can understand why someone why why she was why she got obsessive. But a lot, of, you know, you you're managing to go through all these subjects where people are very obsessive, and you know, we've you know, I've seen countless middle aged men go down rabbit holes and become obsessed with you know mm. various conspiracy theories or various more now causes. than ever, right? Exactly, more yeah. now than ever, it's fascinating. You, but you seem to manage to avoid it. Is there anything that you know? Is there anything that you sometimes think, oh, I've, I'm getting sucked in too far into this, or do you always manage to keep that? Do you feel like you're? Do you worry that? Because I worry. You know, I see people mm. who I thought were intelligent friends of mine, and, yeah. uh, and they're you know they're going about conspiracies about you know cars being allowed in cities and the and the climate change isn't real and you're gonna go what the fuck has happened or whatever Mm. it is and i sort of worry is there a day where as a middle-aged man you wake up and go (laughs) okay now i hate this group of people um (laughs) so so do, do you think do you think this is keeping you away from that or do you think there's ever any danger that you know how do you keep that balance i guess is what i'm asking well i i actually think about that quite a lot because like you i've seen so many people from like our peer group yeah just just fall into like obsessive 
you know, being obsessively into this particular culture war or that particular culture war to the extent that it's, you know, utterly swallowed up their lives. And, And, you know, and so I've thought a lot about, A, why is that happening? That's the reason why I wanted to make my BBC show, Things Fell Apart, to try and figure out why, you know, how have people ended up, you know, so lost to culture wars. Um, But I think, and so I thought a lot about why those people fall in that way and also why I don't. And I think I do have an answer to why I don't. And it's because when I, I don't know if this is unusual or not, but when I listen to somebody extol a point of view, I always think to myself, oh, yeah, that makes total sense. And then when I listen to somebody extolling like the, the opposite point of view, I always think, yeah, that makes total sense. <laughs> like, I, think I'm, I think I'm really good uh, at getting inside people's heads and understanding, you know, their worldview. But I'm also very good at not being stuck in it. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. good at getting... And, and so I, I, I end up in a, with a balance. It is quite rare. I, mean, I think we all. I think people, more people, used to be like that. That you were prepared to listen to the other point of view and understand. Just try and understand why mm. the other person thinks what they do. I think you would at least go. I don't agree with it. You know, we. I think we used to have yeah. conversations with right wing people and go. I don't agree with that, but yeah, let's have a listen and 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 talk about it. And I'll try and convince you my way, and you'll try and convince me your way, and we'll walk away probably both thinking the same thing we thought. It does It does seem to have changed, but I think that, mm. I think I'm the same as you. you. I love this sort of stuff, and, I'm, and I, don't, I don't love conspiracy theories to be true, and I, you know, or, or you know, mm. supernatural. I'd love it to be true. I don't think it mm. is, but I'd love it to be. Uh, but, you know, I, but, I, but I'm also open-minded to want to hear what other people are saying. And I, and I, get, I think that's the, the try. You know, I think some people might be disappointed that they don't necessarily get like the answer though mm. though you know i don't think you ever really you know there are there are podcast series that make you think you're going to find out who the murderer was at the end and then mm. they go well you know we don't really know what happened and that's that's very annoying I'll wait to the next yeah. series uh but you know i think this the the beauty of, the, of, of all of your stuff but this one particularly is that it is very open-minded and it isn't you know, mm. even when you're dealing with the you know the most extreme uh, right-wing people in America you're you're listening to them and trying to understand where they, where they came from yeah um, and you know in the old when i started out you know most conspiratorial thinking was like in the world of extremism political and religious yeah. extremism uh but now you kind of see it everywhere. As I said before, you kind of see it in true crime podcasting in its way. That's kind of like yeah. conspiracy theories, and you see it. You see it on the left. I think probably more than it than it used to be. Yeah. Um, you see a lot of paranoia on social media about all sorts of things. Uh, people confidently expressing what seems clearly a paranoid point of view, and you see hitherto sensible people fall down rabbit holes and get completely trapped yeah. uh, all over the place you see that and so yeah it's like this and I don't know is it you know it's probably a combination of age to an extent the algorithms the way that the algorithms you know fuck with our heads um, the way the, the echo chambers the, the way that we all define ourselves as being in opposition to other people uh, so and a lot of this stuff is just really new, and it is. And I think it's the biggest, it's the biggest story of our time. Uh, you know what it did? I tell you when it did happen to me. I said I was good at, you know, um, seeing both points of view of everything. But it really happened to me during the Trump years. I, I yeah. became obs- I, I 
definitely suffered. I'm not, I'm not saying it wasn't derangement, but, you know, the, the, the right call it Trump derangement syndrome. <laughs> and I had it. And, and, I, and I think I still have it. But I'm not sure if it's derangement because I think Trump really is a genuine threat to democracy. And um, the one thing I didn't anticipate, though, was that when Trump really um, pushed at the edges of democracy with, with the whole election lie stuff, yeah. democracy held firm, like the institutions held firm. And, I, and that made me think, I've just spent the last four years in a state of real, genuine, debilitating fear uh, <laughs> that, you know, that, that society is going to crumble. And... And when push came to shove, society did hold firm. But that doesn't mean that if Trump doesn't get in for a second term, things aren't going to crumble then. They might. Sure. I mean, it does. You know, it's worth, you know, I think equally to be the other way and just go, nothing's ever going to go wrong, which I think is a lot Mm. of nothing's gone wrong in our lifetime. So therefore, we're going to be fine. Yeah. But Mm. just before our lifetime, there was quite a big there was Mm. quite a big event where things went quite off the rails. Uh, So, yeah, I think it's understanding that it is it is possible. Mm. I mean, the problem is, I think that everything everything's been seen as being fascist or Nazi for so long, even things that are just, you know, aggravating or just not your point of view. So Mm. that if the when the real thing comes along, it's harder to identify or at least it's easy to go. Oh, you say that about everything. Totally. yeah. That's why, you know, everyone calls each other pedophiles nowadays, or paedophiles, as you Brits say. Uh, yes. I remember saying paedophile to, I was in a meeting in This American Life, and I, and I said the word paedophile, and they were all like, wow, you make it sound so fancy. <laughs> <laughs> It's no pedophile. wonder you Brits are such pedophiles. <laughs> it sounds brilliant when you say it that way. Um, yeah. Yes. But yeah, the, the the phrase is concept creep. And if everybody's calling everybody a paedophile now, you yes. know, the people who benefit the most maybe are paedophiles. That's <laughs> true. Um, yeah. And so there's, uh, again, uh, we can take this out if this is too much information, uh, but, you know, you are trying to track down uh, Carol for uh, for an interview uh, and you're then... Mm. And, which d- doesn't happen in this particular series so far, but uh, is there hope yeah. that there, there may be, a, be an, another episode where you do? I, I certainly hope there's hope. I mean, we we got more Carol stuff than I possibly imagined I yeah. would. Like, you know, this incredible archive and everything. But yeah, she agreed to an interview and then and then went silent, which I think is kind of... Um, resonant of, of of the kind of behaviour that I of hers that I capture in the show. So it yeah. doesn't didn't come as a huge surprise. Uh but yeah, but if 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 I can still talk to her, I'll certainly do another episode. Yeah, um, of course. Yeah. But, yeah. Assuming that Audible are into it, but why wouldn't they be? <laughs> I think I think they would be. Well yeah. look and yeah it's a it's a really fabulous uh, series. <clears throat> it's worth joining Audible to just to listen to this. Um, so, so give it a go, and you know maybe it'll turn up somewhere else eventually for, for a reasonable amount of money. You never know. Um, yeah. uh, you coming? You're in New York at the moment, but you're coming to the UK in the next couple of weeks. Or? Yeah, and I've got a couple of things I'd like to tell <laughs> people about. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Uh, okay, so on May twenty fourth, I think was it May twenty third? I think it's May twenty fourth. I'm doing a one-off Things Fell Apart show at the podcast show at the Business Design Centre in Islington at seven o'clock in the evening. Uh, and there's still, there's still like about 75 tickets to sell for okay. that. So uh, 
please do come. Um, so I think I've got a mystery guest and I'm unveiling a brand new story that I've never told before from season two of Things Fell Apart. So, yeah, that's the podcast show on May 24th. And on May 28th, I'm doing a half-day writing workshop where I'm teaching narrative nonfiction storytelling. And we've still got about... That's expensive because it's like a proper half-day thing. But we've still got about 15, 20 tickets left to some of that. Uh, Anyway, if you want to know about those... Oh, and I'm at the Hay Festival on June 2nd, I think. Me and Dolly Alderton are at the Hay Festival doing a thing together. Uh, So those are my three events that I'm doing when I'm over... Uh, imminently and if you want to know more about them just look on the pinned link on my Twitter or my Instagram which okay. is uh, John Knudsen they, they, but it all sounds fantastic I have to say that, that uh, yeah. course sounds very good yeah um, I've done I've put a lot of work into both of those things and yeah. and, uh, and yeah if the course goes well and people think that they've got their money's worth I'm going to do maybe seven or eight of them across the country maybe in, in November Oh, Brill, Brill, that's yeah. fantastic. Um, you did mention Demi Moore. Uh, I, I ask everyone if they're reading or listening to anything uh, they would like to recommend that isn't their own work. Have you got, is there anything else you're Ooh, enjoying at the phone? moment? Let me just look up my... Uh, I, tend, I do tend to... Uh, the answer is listen, because I do tend to listen to everything and not read anymore. Um, yeah, me too. Yeah. Do, do you find you concentrate hard. better? Yeah, I can't. I can't. I would, I've got to... For next week's... Well, no, maybe not next week, but I'm doing an interview tomorrow with a mystery guest I'm not allowed to talk about. But I've got, I've had like a week to read his book on a PDF, on a PDF as well. It's fucking on a, on a, right. very difficult. Very difficult yes, to read. so difficult. <laughs> um, well, I'll tell you what it's I've been... Good. So lately, yeah, Inside Out by Demi Moore I thought was good. Uh, uh, oh, God, this really... I mean, it's beautifully written, but so hard to listen to. Uh, A Mother's Reckoning by Sue Klebold, who's the mother of Dylan Klebold, who was one of the Calabarge Rooters. Yeah. Uh, Right in the middle of it, she bigs up Rob Delaney. That came as a surprise. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um, I I mean, it's an incredibly necessary book, but it's a, but my God, it's a hard book. Yeah. and I really, also, I really enjoyed recently. Um, his name is George Floyd, which just won the Pulitzer, which is just a okay. biography of the George Floyd dynasty. Like, oh, and more fun. I'm just going down my audible reading. <laughs> um, more fun was um, uh, Craig Brown's book about the Beatles. One, yeah, two, three, I read. Four. I read that last year. I, I must get him on here because it's been a bit if he wants to come on because I, I I really loved that book. Thought that yeah. was terrific. Yeah, I thought um, he's so it's so good. You know, the great thing about nonfiction is that it's still it can still be the wild west of storytelling. Like if yes. you can keep people hooked, you can really experiment <laughs> with storytelling. And Craig Brown does that. He's such a brilliant kind of virtuoso writer, and he really yeah. experiments with the way he tells the story of the Beatles, and and it and it just he pulls it off so well. Yeah, I agree. It is terrific. Um, brilliant. Oh, look, John, thanks so much for giving us some some of your time in your, in your cupboard. Uh, and really, I love doing this transit. Like, so it doesn't feel like you're 3,000 miles away. Uh, but I love, doing, I love the, the fact that technology allows us to, to mm. do this and talk to each other from so far. And it's so, you know, it's so like uh, immediate. So that's terrific. But uh, yeah, thanks very much. Good luck with all of your stuff. And do... Uh, I mean, if you haven't read John's other books, read all of John's other books or listen to them. Do you do your own audio books, Jamie? Oh, always, always. 
Yeah. I get very disappointed when it's not the when it's not the author. I tell you, the one where where I got really disappointed was Quentin Tarantino's Cinema Speculation. Like like a lot of authors these days, he does like the first couple of chapters, and then they get somebody else to do the rest of it. And the the other guy was great. Don't get me wrong, but Quentin Tarantino was amazingly good. uh, And then it was just so disappointing when it wasn't him anymore. Yeah, so. I think it's a good. I think as a writer, I would do say this a lot on this podcast, but I think it's a really great thing to be forced to read your own book out and, <laughs> and check it's okay. It's so, a shame. <laughs> if it's bad, then you go, okay, we've got to go back and write, re, re, rewrite right. this. But yeah, so it's, it is. It is a nice thing to do. Uh, and yeah, I agree with you. I, I, I kind of get annoyed if it's not if it's not the actual person. Yeah. Um, unless unless they're dead, John. But you're very much alive for the moment. But if you are ever murdered by an extreme right group, I'm going to do a podcast about trying to find out what happened about it. So. Please do. Okay, and unlike me, come to a firm conclusion. <laughs> I will, I'll come to a firm conclusion. The podcast is going to start with you, with us saying this, yeah. and you say, you say, please do. And I go, I have John's permission for everything. <laughs> for the awful things I'm about to do. Uh, I, 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 I seriously hope that that never happens, John. Uh, thank you very much. Wait, Sorry for it- Sorry for wishing death on you just at the end, but otherwise I thought it was quite good. Thank you. Yeah, it was a delight, and I and I hope to do your Leicester Square live show some yes. th- at some point. Yeah, come back in the autumn or whenever you want. You're always absolutely always welcome. Uh, thank you also to Chris Evans, not that one, and uh, Ben Evans, not that one, as well for all their hard work on this podcast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Thanks for listening. RichardHerring.com slash gigs. GoFasterStripe.com for all my books, downloads, all that sort of shizzle. Oh, yeah, I know all the cool words. And um, would love to see you on the on the Can I Have My Ball Back tour if you can make it. Bye. <laughs>